0: Well, good morning and welcome to LifePoint. On both of our campuses, we are in a summer series called At the Movies, where we're looking at some of the most popular movies where we are discovering biblical truths in unexpected places. Now, though we have the rights to enjoy these movie clips in the service, we also see that when we go to broadcast it, it'll get interrupted and often the content gets blocked. And well, that's just not a very good experience for you. And so what we've decided to do is go back and and find some of the most well-received, impactful messages over the last year, and we're going to share those with you so that you can enjoy those uninterrupted. Now, if you would like to come and join us at At The Movies, Plano at 9 o'clock, Rock Hill at 1030, we'd love to have you there. But thank you for tuning in with us, and I hope today's message is an encouragement. Well, good morning, and I do want to just echo what has already been said. If you're new, we're grateful that you are here today, and we're in part two of a series that we're just calling "Crave," because what we know as we're talking about this idea of grace is grace is what we deserve the least, but what we crave the most, and yet we talk about it all the time like we already understand it. We 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 use terms like, "Well, the bank has a grace period," or "If you're late, I'll give you a little bit of grace." Or politicians fall from grace. Or dancers are gracious and people can be graceful. And what really is grace as we use this word all the time? And one of the things that we know is grace is talked about all throughout the scriptures. But yet it's not talked about in terms of a doctrine. It's always revealed in the fullness of a story. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're doing, is we're looking at stories that help us better understand this wonderful thing called grace. And as a kind of anchoring verse throughout the series, we always like to have a verse that we invite you to consider memorizing, but you don't have to but you're invited to do it. And the verse in this series that kind of hammers home where we're wanting to go and what we're wanting to understand is Romans 3, 23 through 24. So I'm gonna say it once and then I want you to say it out loud with me. And we'll put that on the screen so that you can see it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are all justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, Romans 3, 23, and 24. Now, would you say it out loud with me? Say that with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, Romans 3, 23, and 24. Now, in a minute, we're gonna go to the story, and I just wanna give you a heads up. Not only is it gonna reveal grace, but it's a little bit of a scandalous story that we're going to look at today. But before we get there to today's story, I want you to consider a principle that you already practice in your life all the time, even if you don't think about it that often. And it's this principle, the cause and effect Principle. This is the idea that if you commit a crime, you do the time, right? We all practice this. Like, if you study a little harder on your test, then you're going to get better grades more than likely. Like, it's just kind of a reliable principle that we practice. We use different terms for the principle. Sometimes we say, What you reap, what you sow. You reap, what you sow. Or we'll say things like, Well, you kind of get what you have coming. Or we'll say, Hey, what goes around comes around. Or some people will say it's karma, right? But it's a principle that we all know is pretty reliable. It's cause and effect. If you work out, you'll probably get more fit. If you don't, you won't, right? Like it's cause and effect. And we all understand this principle. Here's the challenge right out of the gate I want you to see. This principle that we all know in practice is why it's so hard to really understand grace. Because it's the opposite of this principle that we all have embraced, the Bible even teaches, and we've seen throughout our life over and over again. And then when it comes to grace, we can't earn this. There's not a cause and effect relationship. And yet, we know there are exceptions to this principle all the time. There are a lot of bad exceptions, and there are a lot of good exceptions. We see it all around us. Think about this. Think about some of the bad exceptions to this principle that we have that we consider reliable in our life. This week in the state of Florida, a lot of residents did nothing wrong, and yet they lost everything. That's not a cause and effect. That's a bad exception, isn't it? Or we just heard from our friend Shane who talked about there are a lot of times people will lose a job through no fault of their own. Or people who take care of their bodies and then get a debilitating disease. Or you've known people who were dishonest and they flourished, right? And they were successful. These are bad exceptions to the cause and effect principle. And I would suggest to you what we looked at last week sort of explains why that exists because with the original mess, sin began to corrupt our world and there will now be bad exceptions to this principle. But here's the really good news. There are good exceptions to this principle too. In fact, it is grace that creates the possibility of good things happening to undeserving people, a violation of cause and effect. This is what grace is all about. And in the story today, we're going to see both examples, an exception of bad exception and a good exception to this cause and effect principle. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll go ahead and grab them. I want you to see this scandalous story today that really helps us understand another layer of grace. The thing that we ultimately crave the most is revealed in the story of Judah. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, and we'll get there in a minute. If you don't have your Bible, you can grab a, a Bible there in the pew. You can, it's the first book of the Bible. You just go to chapter 37, and we'll be there in just a minute. The character we're going to look at today, his name is Judah, and he is the brother in the shadows. He's kind of forgotten about. He's kind of like the lesser known and, and, and we're going to see why in a minute, but maybe you're there today. Maybe you kind of feel that way. You ever felt like you are in the shadows? Ever felt like you're lesser known? Maybe you have a sibling. Maybe you have a spouse or a parent or a family member that's sort of more in the spotlight, but you're more in the shadows. Maybe you have a coworker Maybe you have a boss or an employee. Maybe you have a business. And in your industry, you feel like you're a little bit in the shadows. In your job, in your career track, you feel a little in the shadows. Compared to someone else's wealth or their retirement position, you feel a little bit in the shadows. Well, if that's you, you're going to relate to Judah today. Because that's exactly how he felt. And you know why he felt in the shadows? There are th- at least three reasons that Scripture reveals. One is, in the shadow of his own, one brother who was very famous. And, and, and his name is Joseph. And if you've grown up in church, probably in Sunday school, you heard the story of Joseph. This is the Old Testament Joseph, the Joseph of the coat of many colors. And his story takes up a lot of space in scripture. But Judah's, it's just a little blurb. And he felt like he was in the shadow of his famous brother. Not only that, Judah also is... Kind of in the birth order, he's non-significant. Like he's in the fourth of twelve brothers. Can you imagine, moms, twelve boys, and he's the fourth. So Reuben is the oldest. That's significant. And Joseph is the most famous. That's significant. Judah is neither. He's in the shadows. But not only that, and here's the thing: we're going to start the story today. He's in the shadow of his famous brothers' dream. In this dream, Joseph, his brother, his much younger brother, has a dream, and he goes around telling the family, almost arrogantly saying, you all are going to bow to me someday, in which the brother said, oh, no, we're not. And he says, no, no, I had a dream that you would bow to me someday. And all of the brothers are like, no, no, no. In fact, Judah's like, wait a minute, I'm in the shadow, but I'm the fourth, and you're the 11th born son? And in a culture that really values birth order, he was like, I will never bow to you. And yet Joseph went around saying, no, you will. You will bow to me. And all the brothers began to resent this famous brother who the father seemed to favor over everyone else. And eventually they became so jealous, they became bitter. They became so bitter, they became hate-filled, angry people. Toward Joseph. And they began to plan and plot to do the most evil of all things to kill their own brother. And that's where we're going to pick up the story because Judah steps in in this moment and he actually does something a little worse. Pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37. I want you to see it with me. Genesis chapter 37, we begin the story of Judah, the brother in the shadows who's far from. A man of high integrity. I'll put it that way. Genesis chapter 37, we begin the story. It says, Judah said to his brothers, well, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? In other words, we don't want to have to cover our tracks to take his life. So he comes up with a plan and he's thinking, hey, we can actually make a little money on this deal. And he sees a caravan of people going by and he's like, we can sell him to these people. They will then turn him into a slave when he gets into a neighboring nation of Egypt and our hands are clean, we got a little bit of money and we'll just tell dad some wild animal must have killed him. So he says, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. And here's this pious moment where he sort of puts his hand in his vest and says, after all, he's our brother. Let's not kill him, because he's our brother. After all, he's our own flesh and blood. And apparently he's such a good salesman, his brothers agreed. And the evil brother sells the good brother and betrays his own flesh and blood. Now if we go back to this principle of cause and effect, we already know what's coming, Judah's way. And many years later, this story, this act, will come back to haunt Judah as Judah and Joseph will come face to face again. But before we get there, let's fast forward Judah's story just a few years because a few years later, Judah has his own family. He thinks life is going good. You know, there was that one time I betrayed my brother. Sure, made a little bit of money. Sure, he's no longer around. I don't know if he's a slave. I don't know if he died. I don't know whatever happened to him. But I've got my own family now. He ends up having several sons, Judah does, this forgotten brother. And then his oldest son marries a lady named Tamar. And then his oldest son dies. And now Tamar, in that culture, would have been very vulnerable she would have been struggling to make ends meet and to provide for herself. So there was a custom put into place with someone had multiple sons and it was called the Leveret Principle or the Leveret Law. And this marriage simply says this, if a man died, like Judah's oldest son did, without children or sons specifically, then his family, so Judah's family, was required to provide for the widow's care. And this leveret actually is the Latin word meaning brothers. So in other words, the oldest son married Tamar. He died, so one of his brothers, the next in line, the custom would be that he then would marry Tamar so that Tamar would not be left vulnerable, so that the family um, legacy could continue on. So Judas steps up and he hands over and offers his second son to Tamar. And then he dies. I mean, wow, right? Son number two dies. And then all of a sudden, Tamar looks back at Judah like, well, who's next, right? (laughs) Well, he has a third son, but he's not quite of age. But when he becomes of age, Judah says, no more. I'm not doing this. That woman is bad luck. I'm not offering my third son. Turns out the scripture actually says, it's the first two boys who were wicked. It's why they lost their life. But Judah says, I don't care. I'm not giving my third son to Tamar. And now Tamar is left on her own to be vulnerable, left on her own to be abandoned. Can you imagine? She's lost her two husbands, and now her own family has abandoned her. And you know what we have here? We have a bad exception to the cause and effect principle. Because Tamar didn't do anything to deserve the death of her first husband or the death of her second husband or the abandonment of her entire family and to be left alone in a culture where she had no means to provide for herself. She was completely neglected. She didn't do anything to deserve that. And in that moment, she became desperate. And in that moment, she was forced to begin to turn to prostitution. And what we see in Tamar is a story we still see today, and that is it's easy because of the cause and effect rule that when we see someone struggling, we will assume they have brought it on themselves, and sometimes they have, but it is true that some people's life circumstances are due to their choices, and some people's life circumstances are due to the choices of others. Or the way one pastor told me, some people have sinned and some people have been sinned against, and that's Tamar. Now, I said that she was forced to turn to prostitution. She actually presented herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law, hid her identity, her father-in-law, Judah. Now, if you didn't pick up the implication there, I want you to make sure you don't miss this. That means that Judah, our man of integrity who betrayed his own brother, is out soliciting a prostitute. And when he is, he doesn't realize the identity is actually his very own daughter in law. Now, as I said, this story is a bit scandalous. And I can tell you're leaning in, so I'll continue. I mean, this is like the script where days of our lives come from, right? This is like reality TV. If you ever think the Bible's boring, you just got to pick it up. Go in Genesis and here we go. So eventually, the rumor begins to get around. And everybody's talking about the scandal. Judah's daughter-in-law. Did you hear what she did? And then, it's no accident that about three months later, people begin to say, Tamar's pregnant. And she's pregnant through prostitution. Well, eventually the rumor gets to Judah. Now Judah begins to get on his high and mighty horse here because he has no idea that he's in any way going to be implicated. And he begins to be quick to criticize, which sort of reminds us that when I, it's his human nature, when I am quick to be critical of others' character, It's often because I have the same character flaw in me. And here we have a man who's saying, prostitute? I judge that loudly. And quietly, I solicit prostitutes. So here we are, verse 24, we see the hypocrisy of Judah. This is hard to read, because watch this, about three months later, Judah whispers, somebody whispers to Judah and says, now your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. And I picture Judah kind of standing up thinking, oh, well, they've come to me because, you know, I'm obviously one of the town leaders. I'm obviously a respected person in the community. I'm a faithful follower of God. I will decide the sentence here. And so he says, bring her out and have her burned to death. Which in that culture would have been one of the most extreme forms of execution to one, publicly shame her and to two, burn her at the stake. Judah had the foggiest idea. He's the father. But with his arrogance, He announces her execution. And we see in Judah, if I'm honest, the same hypocrisy that's in all of us, right? It's in me. If I'm quick to point my finger at Judah, as Judah points his finger at Tamar, it's because I probably have my own hypocrisy. Because this is the sort of the human nature is that we tend to judge others or we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their actions, Oh, no, 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 here's what I meant. Here's what I was doing. That's why I said that. But you said this, and there's two different standards. And in this place, Judah, oh, man, you're talking about two different standards. And here's the twist. As Tamar, this female in this patriarchal culture, as she's perhaps on her knees, being prepared for the worst kind of execution with a, Group of people standing around her, and her secrets are out in the open, and she's being prepared for this difficult death. There is a twist in the story. Tamar, do you have any final words? Uh, Yeah, one thing. What I hold in my hand is the ID of the Father. Well, now the rumor mill, right? Everybody's curious. Everybody's looking around like, oh, man, we get to find out who the father is, right? This is one of those reveal things, right? And they go up, and Judah looks, and he realizes it's his ID. And he remembers, and his actions are now going to have consequences. And now he's the one being shamed. With the crowd, he gathered to shame Tamar. And he has kind of a moment of conscience here where he actually goes and he confesses, he has a little bit of decency that in that moment with Tamar prepared for execution and he's been, he's been ID'd as the dad. He says in verse 36, he goes of Tamar, he says, oh, she is more righteous than I. And the crowd is shocked. Judah. Of all people, Judah, a betrayer of his own family, abandoning his daughter-in-law, and then condemning her for the very act he was part of, ready to shame and criticize, just as he wasn't willing to take on for himself. Whew, what a day that was. But if we fast forward the story a few more years, there's another day. And this is the day that Judah would never forget. Because this is the day that Judah and Joseph come face to face for the first time since he betrayed him. It's about 15 or 20 years later. There had been a famine and he and his brothers are looking for food. And so they go to the neighboring nation of Egypt to find food. And to their shock, they walk into what may have been a government building that was marked food distribution and they walk in and there they are shocked to find their long lost brother joseph he is no longer a slave instead he has risen to national prominence and he's the number two ranking political figure in the nation and guess what he's in charge of food distribution oh this moment is going to be sweet sweet revenge is finally here joseph says ah cause and effect You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. You're going to get what's coming to you. And I can't help but imagine the moment when Judah and Joseph's eyes finally met. And Judah immediately remembers... This is the brother whose life I tried to ruin by betraying him and selling him as a slave. And he must have been consumed with guilt. And can you imagine Judah as he's standing there and he's sweating and his heart is racing and through his body is just a coursing fear as he knows punishment has come and it is deserved and Joseph has every right and he certainly has the power to take his life. Cause and effect principle demands it. But what Joseph does next is what makes this moment so special. And it's why we're still talking about it today. And I want you to see it. It's in Genesis chapter 45, in verse five. Joseph looks at his brothers who are nervous, who are, who are frankly full of fear, regret, And Joseph says, and now, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He's very honest about what they did. Why? Because it was to save lives that God sent me. Not you. God sent me ahead of you. And instead of revenge, Joseph offers forgiveness and judah receives what he deserves least but craves the most in that moment grace couldn't have earned it didn't deserve it and it would change his life grace Well, if we were writing a Hollywood script, we'd end the story there, the credits would roll, we'd put up our popcorn, we'd walk out and we'd say, that's a good story, old Judah. I really like his story. I can relate to Judah. But the story gets so much better because the best hasn't even happened yet because it's a few years later when these brothers, all 12 of them, are gathered around their dad's bed as he's dying and there was this custom where he would give a blessing to one of his chosen sons. You say, what is the blessing? Is that just a ritual? It's so much more than that. It's actually the transfer of clan leadership to this one son. It was a very powerful and significant transfer of power within the family. Well, everyone knew the custom was that it would go to the oldest son, Reuben, and if by chance that didn't happen, surely it would go to Joseph, who's the favored son. But each son was there to participate and to witness for themselves the transfer of the blessing. And they would each step forward individually and have some parting words from dad. And so each son did that, and as each son stepped forward, when Judah stepped forward, poor Judah, all his secrets were known. After all, he'd betrayed some of the people in the room. His sins had been very public in that mock trial with Tamar. Everyone knew what he had done. He had no expectations. In fact, he steps forward nervously. But as the dad begins to talk, Jacob, the dad, begins to share some things, it immediately becomes obvious that he's about to do the unimaginable. And he's going to pass on this blessing to Judah. Judah. And as he continues to talk, all the brothers, their jaws drop. Judah? The betrayer? The one who solicited the prostitute? Judah? And I want you to see, this moment is captured and recorded for us in Scripture in Genesis 49, verses 8 and 9. We see Judas, Judah step forward and Jacob speaks the Father's blessing. He says, Judah, your sons will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. And watch this. Your father's sons will bow down to you. No longer in the shadow. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, till he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And that last part seems a little odd, but what's happening and insinuating in the last, that verse 10, is that what Jacob is revealing to Judah in this transfer of blessing is that kings would come from his lineage, and the Messiah would come through Judah's lineage. Jaws are dropped. They're like, wait, 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 wait. You mean Joseph, right? Or Benjamin, your second favorite. Or Reuben, your oldest son. Judah? Betraying Judah? The one who condemns and points fingers, he has no right. Well, once again, Judah is receiving what he craved most, but what he deserved the least. It turns out when God redeemed the world through Jesus, remember Saul last week, he chose Abram. He was going to form a nation through whom the Messiah would come. The Messiah would come through the lineage of Judah. And it's in the very first two verses of your New Testament where we see the fulfillment of what Jacob has just said in this father's blessing. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this very thing. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Messiah. Watch this. The son of David, the son of Abraham, who we looked at last week, and now we begin the lineage. Abraham, this new nation that was formed through whom the Messiah would come, was the father of Isaac. Okay, we get that. That was the one. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Okay, there were two. He chose the one. Jacob. Was the father of Judah. Oh, yeah, and his brothers. He's no longer in the shadow, is he? The brothers are in the shadow. And it's through the lion that we get the line of Judah, Jesus. This is grace. Not deserved, not earned, his goodness. Chasing after Judah. And we see grace. Now, I can't help but think that sometimes I forget because of the cause and effect principle, grace just doesn't make sense to me. But I'm reminded that good people don't earn grace. Corrupt people receive grace from a good God. Another way to say it, and here's maybe the takeaway for today, is that grace is not reserved for good people. Grace reveals God's goodness. Judah didn't receive God's grace because he was good. He received God's grace because God is good. And even though he's he's sick of my bad behavior, he's still madly in love with me and he's chasing me with his grace. Just like he did Judah. Now, we could end the story there, but there's more. Because in the very next verse, verse three, It gets even more shocking. There's even more grace. Because in the next verse, verse 3 of of Matthew chapter 1, it says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And you're like, now who are these guys? Yeah, you remember that Judah lost his first two sons who married Tamar? And I don't know why, but in the goodness and grace of God, he gives him two more sons, twins, Perez and Zerah. A little grace. For Judah. But it's this next person. The most important of all. Whose name you just have to see. Because if you read the entire verse 3. Look what it says. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Whose mother was. Say it out loud with me. Tamar. What is she doing there? The prostitute. The mother of Perez and Zerah. From that transaction of prostitution between Judah and Tamar came Perez and Zerah and came Jesus. Came our Messiah. Against the darkness and brokenness and evilness of this act we see the bright shining star of our Savior in grace. It doesn't make sense but that's how madly in love God is with me and with you. You see, you know what you've done. You may know what you're doing. And you may relate to Judah. Can you just know that you're not too far for God's grace to reach you? No matter what is in your past, no matter what anger you hold no matter what shame you feel, you're not too far for God's grace to reach you. We're all Judas. And God keeps chasing us with his goodness. And as Isaac said, he's just waiting for us to turn around and to face him again. This is grace. And it's his kindness that leads to our repentance when I once again embrace his grace. It's an exception, a good exception, to the cause and effect principle, his grace. But maybe you don't relate to Judah as much as you relate to Tamar. Maybe you're in the place where you look back and you've been hurt. You say, Mark, you don't even know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. There may be ladies in this room. You've made decisions in the past and you feel so much mental anguish over that. You carry that into this place. Others of you who are here may have experienced a parent's divorce or parents who weren't there for you in those big moments or maybe you've just experienced some pain in your own past that was not your choice. Just like Tamar. Can you please hear me say this? Nothing anyone has ever done to you can disqualify you from God's grace. And nothing you have ever done can disqualify you from His grace. You are a candidate. You are perfectly positioned to turn around and receive the goodness coming at you. His grace is chasing you today. And like Tamar, you can receive the full measure of God's grace. Not because you've earned it, but because of his goodness. For grace is not reserved for good people. Grace reveals God's goodness. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're here today, maybe you're not sure if you're filled with goodness or maybe you feel like you're filled with guilt. Wherever you are, you too can receive the full measure of God's grace. And as we talked about last week, grace begins with an invitation where he just asks, will you trust me? And so today after the service, if you're ready to take that step, we would invite you to come to our prayer area here in the back or, or out in the lobby. The staff will be out there with, with an ID badge on. We just want to help you in any way. Come to us and let us. Maybe you've been hurting. Maybe you've experienced a hurt in the past and you've never dealt with that. You've never received God's grace to wash over that and to cover that. We want to pray with you. We want to be here for We want you to be positioned to turn and see him again. If you are a Jesus follower, well, Like me, you've received God's grace. But it's easy to forget that no one else is beyond God's reach. That's why we want to be a people where anyone can belong before they believe so that they can experience God's grace. Everyone is a candidate for what we crave the most. Whether they believe differently, they behave differently, They are a candidate, and we must offer grace to everyone. So if you're a Jesus follower, let me close by asking you this personal question. Is there someone in your life right now with whom you struggle to extend grace? Maybe it's the way they believe, behave, spout their views, live their lives. And would you ask God to fill you with the grace needed to extend it to them? I say sin is a big deal. Grace is a bigger deal. Let's be people who receive it and extend it for the Judas and the Tamars of this world because that is us in the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for grace we don't deserve that we deeply crave and that we can receive not because of our goodness but because of yours Lord in the end all of us will stand and say that Jesus is the name above every name God in the meantime may we once again turn to you And receive your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.